Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a podcast where we discuss monsters from their origins to their current incarnations in contemporary popular culture. We don't always focus on monsters, but that is our primary goal and the thing we like to discuss. Uh, we may branch from that, and this does happen on some of these episodes. Um, particularly, these are discussing the Legativerse, as we like to call it. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and today I'm joined by Leonard. How are you doing, Leonard? I'm good, Dave. Excellent. And we have a special guest. Uh, Perry has joined us. Perry, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Thank you very much. Excellent. So the let let the folks know a little bit about yourself. Um, you are a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a uh, filmmaker and writer. Uh, I do a lot of small scale, weird little projects. Most of them usually end up being some kind of a cosmic horror sort of thing. So it's a it's an honor to be on here. I did a, a short film called Sun Gazer, uh, which is available for purchase and rental, which is a Super 8 uh, cosmic horror movie. And I'm not sure when this episode is going to go up, but either very soon or sometime soon after, or soon before this episode went up, uh, I have a short story collection called The Last Nautilian, uh, which is going to be on sale July 15th. All right. Well, the episode will be going up today, most likely. So Ooh, well, we wonderful will, then. So uh, we will four leave days. links uh, in the show notes for um, for these, and then for also your Twitter, which is primarily where I think you're mostly found. Yeah, uh, that's where I do most of my uh, hosting. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you for introducing yourself. Uh, we will kick this off. We are, as I mentioned, back into. We're deep, uh, elbows deep in Legativerse at this point. We're sort of reaching the end of the anthology we're covering um, for the show. Thankfully, uh, the the wider world of popular culture has sort of um, been influenced by Legati in one way or the other, or things are tangential, and so there's, there's stuff for us to cover uh, once we do finish the books. Um, I'm not sure how much longer we will be dwelling on this... Um, very inspiring and very uplifting subject matter, but <laughs> I, I feel that it is all the more relevant um, in this day and age, uh, as fortunate or unfortunate as that may be, it really depends on your mileage, but we will be taking a look at um, two films which are Ligati adjacent. The first is Begotten, and this is a 1989 film directed by E. Elias uh, Meringe? Meringe? I, well, just go with that. It's a great last name. Uh, and then the film Sleep Has Her House, which is a 2017 release by Scott Barley. As well as some more conspiracy against the human race, because it is the best book ever, and we love to refer to it from time to time. Yeah, it's a fun read for the whole family. Yep. Maybe not the whole family, but it's a fun read. Huh. <laughs> All right, so we'll start with Begotten, and we'll do a kind of overview uh, and a, a theme, sort of thesis, that we're going to be uh, discussing this time uh, because we are specifically um, tying these three together. Uh, this is a trend of um, anti-humanism, and that's a through line in a lot of Ligotti's works, in pretty much every Ligotti work. Uh, 
uh, and these are stellar shining examples of that so we'll we'll dive into them a little bit uh, first though um, each of us uh, has taken the time to to watch this this wonderful film begotten um, we will give our in individual impressions of how we sort of receive the film uh, because this is an experimental um, title it is more or less not viewer friendly uh we'll, we'll we'll discuss that leonard uh if you would like to start us off with how you felt about the film in general um uh by the time that i was uh done with begotten uh i i had one thought in my head and that was uh oops all allegory um i <laughs> it's um it's not a poorly made film, um, and it's not a boring film. However, uh, due to the amount of media that I consume, um, there's nothing presented in it that I haven't seen in other media. Um, I think uh, the thing, uh, the film that I kept thinking most of while watching Begotten was... Um, mother uh because that those are very are very thematically similar and even though uh mother itself slips into a little bit of oops all allegory um there is a semblance of a narrative um that i'm uh forced to engage with that that will help keep my attention uh so um begotten is is good and i understand the point uh however i did not find it to be all that uh enjoyable of a watch from just my perspective because um once again these are these are themes and and this is themes and imagery that that um evokes uh similar themes and imagery from from other pieces of media uh that are more narrative based that was uh my experience with begotten like i said um i don't i'm not saying that 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 it's a bad film um or poorly made um it does exactly what it's setting out to do um it's just that um i've 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 seen what it's doing uh, a number of times already Fair enough. It's a fair assessment. Uh, Perry, how about yourself? How did you how did you access this film? Uh, well, Begotten is one of my favorite films. It's probably in my top thirty or something. And what I love about Begotten is actually uh, quite similar to the the reasons uh, you just liked it, Leonard, which is which is <laughs> fair uh, because it's definitely a. Uh, a not for everyone movie. Um, both the movies today are definitely not for everyone movies. In fact, they're for very few people. Uh, but I, I definitely am in the market for movies that basically have no plot and are just all vibes. Uh, and as far as all vibes film goes, I mean, this is this is pretty up there because it's essentially just seventy two minutes of freaky imagery and. Uh, really upsetting sound design and just this 
kind of uh, apocalyptic tone that runs through the whole thing. And I I eat it up. I don't know how to explain it. The movie kind of works like magic for me. Yeah, that that's a um that's an interesting interesting viewpoint. Uh this film uh for me, I can I can see where it could be hostile to the viewer. Uh and this is also um I think what Leonard um is is kind of catching on is this film is a it's 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 not specifically a time capsule, but if you watch this film as if it were when it came out, uh it's it's unlike pretty much everything else uh, that was extant at the time um in the intervening many years um since its release there these themes and these things have been kind of tread upon um elsewhere and i think some of that is simply because uh it's it's just influential piece of media so when you're running into what this film is doing and and have had sort of bumped into those things before the film is a little bit less effective uh but it's no less enjoyable in its like artistic merit uh i do feel personally that it may it it could have been um, truncated maybe a few minutes excised here and there um and i don't know how that would impact the actual film itself be because it's sort of meant it, it feels like you sort of need to kind of being suffering along with it um that mm-hmm. it, that that is what it's um it's trafficking in and is making it more effective uh, coming to this film uh, i had not seen this before so this was a, a first time viewing uh and watching this in uh the best of every you know 2020 everyone's favorite year um (laughs) watching this now i did i felt like i was sort of desensitized to what it was doing uh just if you watch this when it came out or at least in the say maybe a five-year grace period um in in, in about that time you're uh you're dealing with other shock cinema a lot so there's there's um the guinea pig films uh faces of death these sort of things that uh are up front in your face with um humanity as viscera and that that is what this sort of leads off with um but in that light is less effective having seen other things similar to it. If, if, if this loses its sort of shock value in the beginning, uh, that's sort of harmful to the viewing of it. Um, and that's not what the film is about wholesale. So, uh, if you view something, say, say hostile for example uh, or any of these the, the torture porn genre of films that's not what this film's doing but by yeah. having seen those other films that makes begotten less effective now i don't know if that's a, like agreeable across the board but that's just kind of how i interacted with it um i don't know what, what do you two think yeah i mean that's fair it's not necessarily the most uh shocking movie and the imagery 
that is like gross per se is mostly at the start. I mean, the the opening is the most remembered sequence for for a reason. I think because uh, that's where it gets the the big like transgressive cinema movements out of the way for the most part. Uh, and I, I would agree with you that it's not very it's not very scary, uh, but it's it's got this consistent atmosphere to it, uh, which I think is its main strength. It, it goes all in with this weird apocalyptic vibe, uh, and I think it plays it pretty strongly. I don't think there's anything else that quite feels like how the world in this movie feels. No, the way it's shot and everything, it's... um. It's open to interpretation. Uh, you get the the themes and the allegory is on its sleeve. You you can't really mm-hmm. miss that. Uh, however, because of the nature of uh, the film and the nature of the cinematography, there are certain things that are ambiguous. Um, specific details. Uh, it's it's murky on purpose uh, because you have to sort of divine uh, some of the meaning for yourself in, in like the the center of the film. Uh, the it's bookended, I think, by a stronger message that is, it's definitely in your face. You can't, you can't, <laughs> yeah. mis- you can't mistake that for something else. Uh, the center of the film is where is where it's a little bit long in the tooth, uh, and is less um, overt. Yeah. But that what that does though is provide room uh, for uh, in sort of pasting on your own meaning. And I think that this film in particular uh, for Western audiences um, or, uh, I guess, religiously conservative folks would make this um, either more poignant or more disturbing. One of the two or maybe both at the same time. Uh, If you come at this from a a non-Western religious angle, uh, I think it loses some of that, that impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't make the film any less like accomplished for what it does on a, a fairly small budget. Uh, again, this is um, why we do traffic in films and in analysis, not specifically a film discussion uh, <laughs> podcast. But I think that these types of um, discourse, at least on the nature of what this film does uh for you as a viewer um, is very important because that, that that's you're relating to it solely on that because of the lack of like a through line narrative that's strong yeah that there's nothing but you in the movie really uh yeah. which it, which is what makes it uh a tougher sit than any content would be it's very much a I don't want to say it's a full tilt experimental film like it's not a stand brackage or anything but it's it's definitely taking a very uh, experimental approach to a narrative film or a narrative film structure. And there's really nothing but the atmosphere to it. You got to engage with that or it's going to drag. Yeah. And um, that that's the important part because that specific atmosphere and the message that this film is conveying are, are it's ultimately what we're here for. Um, yeah. the, the through line of this film is that uh, God um, is 
maybe he's tired maybe he's insane uh we we can infer all sorts of things or really it's kind of better to not infer anything at all specifically about um his state of mind because if god is an unknowable being it doesn't matter what does matter uh is that god has decided to end his existence and is doing that in the most prolonged, drawn out, and um, gloriously visceral way um, uh, possible. And through that destruction, through that ending of existence, um, he begets creation. Right. So yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the core of the film. Uh, not specifically that it's God, but that. Uh, this world is the fruits um, of decay. Yeah, there's a. It opens with a, a quote, like a an old silent film air title. Uh, it's worth mentioning the movie has no dialogue, uh, and the the quote has that bit that I find very um, sums up the whole thing. It's life is flesh on bone, convulsing upon ground. Uh, and that's that's the mission statement for the whole world of this movie is it's just really unglamorized uh, life. <laughs> life is not a miracle. It's like some horrible mutation that came from God's suicide. Yes. Uh, and then the, the film sort of it chronicles the it's not really even a journey. Um, it is a. A, a dragging a dragging of a a conceptualized actualized being um that is uh this would be i guess more suited towards something lovecraftian uh it's an it's an idiot god is what we what we get um the the offspring of of this god is tormented into uh another creation like at the end of the movie it's wrapped around so with the with the original suicide of god we have the the creation of mother earth and this is the first female incarnation that exists and uses the basically uses the semen of God to form the son of God or the son of earth since it's her son uh, they are the offspring of this dead God but they are they're, they're fully formed um, the son of God or son of earth technically less so and this is where we get a um i think it's it's always a it's uh it's always a wonderful idea when you have a a creation a new a newborn thing that undergoes um like spontaneous growth going going from infant to man in like a, a very short amount of time mm -hmm. uh but that that change or that metamorphosis is um, purely a physical one and, and not something that's 
accompanied by a mental growth as well. Assuming that could even ever be the case, um, given this very specific um, Son of Earth, which is also the flesh on bone mentioned in the the beginning um, of the film. Uh, This Son of Earth has no agency of his own. He is he is a puppet, uh, a a convulsing, squirming mass uh, that has uh, potentiality because it is the the spawn of God to to harbor uh, fresh creation, but not of its own accord. Is how I was like understanding it. There's... Yeah, the the. Oh, go, go on. No, go ahead. I was gonna say the the whole cycle of creation in it is it feels um I don't know what what what's the right word for very uh bastardized, very accidental, um like the the way that mother earth just sort of spawns from god's entrails uh and then uses god's semen to create uh the the son of earth feels uh, unholy basically like this this terrible fusion because it's clear that the the son of earth is not meant to be um that he's like we He's uh, aberration in the world. He definitely does not belong there. Uh, everything involving that Son of Earth character is just very um, unsettling. Because uh, he's like constantly having like seizures. Uh, and he's just kind of crawling along the world. Like It's clear that this is not a place for man. No, this is yeah. a, it's a, um, it's a hostile environment um, specifically. Yeah. But go ahead, Leonard. Oh, I was just going to say it, it's 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 really uh, playing into the concept of life in, in and of itself is is suffering, and that uh, humanity, son of son, son of Earth, is 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 just kind of this blindly clutching thing, stumbling through its own existence, but like as you said, not of its own accord. It's it's not it 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 because it because of the son of earth doesn't have any real agency like nothing it does seemingly matters it 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 can produce and and it can it can be coerced into doing things but it it has no there's no intent behind its actions yeah and if we're looking at um specifically Lagadian themes uh with with consciousness itself being the burden being the curse being the mistake uh the the, f- the flesh on bone is is devoid of that is this like um unthinking unknowing uh lump of flesh it happens to be alive uh, but that's like the barest um, extent of it. Uh, however, uh, it also happens to be potent because its own uh, body, the thing that it has spawned, 
uh, is like God, a creative force. However, it's again because there's no agency. Everything that's created is 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 not by design. So accident and not design is a large theme of this film. And we do have Mother Earth who who has agency and has we're guessing will of her own. Um, but because there's no dialogue and because her appearances are like kind of bookending the film uh her goals are unknown and she's potentially like trying to save her progeny from this weird cult but in a in a in a way that's not um there's not a sense of motherliness i guess would be the, the the way to approach that but go ahead. Yeah, there are these other human-like creatures that are roaming around, and uh, they—they're the closest thing, I guess, you have to a villain in the movie. I mean, they—I'm not hundred percent sure what they represent, but whatever they are, they're not good uh, because they—they actually—they kill the son of Earth, uh, and then uh, even though he's—he's he's thrown to a fire pit, he's burned to a crisp, uh, but. Mother Earth brings him back. Like, Mother Earth won't let uh, the flesh on bone die. And you get a sense that... I mean, she's definitely trying to protect her son, but she's not really looking out for him. She's showing up when he's dead and bringing him back. And then later, uh, when Son of Earth's attacked again, uh, Mother Earth just kind of watches and watches the her the flesh on bone just get horribly abused and beaten by these figures. Yes, and in and in turn that that um inactivity uh that that weird sense of self um sort of becomes her own undoing because she she didn't she didn't do anything positive or negative in that sense. Uh, aside from uh, not doing something and that idea of not doing something became her downfall because ult- ultimately she is also tortured and dismembered by these figures yes um in a, in I, a very br- brutal fashion unfortunately that was probably the hardest part of the film aside from the opening to like get through um uh, the the the, um, the relationship between Mother Earth and and the Flesh on Bone um, <clears throat> works for me uh, simply because it's it's accurate. Like the the we the we are we are products of the planet, but the planet is ultimately not to say that that the world has a consciousness but in the grand scheme humanity is is inconsequential it does not occupy a a a greater place other than through our own uh, sapience um um on this world so when her abandonment is 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 fitting because it's it's like you said, Dave, it's indifference. It's it's a progeny, but 
the concern for survival or death is is not present until the death uh occurs and i i think it's it's interesting that that the flesh on bone is is resurrected uh at the same um there is is not a um there's no growth to it it is it is it is reconstituted as the same being that it was before that's that's the the part that interests me the most and i yeah i think that's a really good um framing of it that indifference um but also that sort of that hostility so uh because mother earth is not involving herself in the in the in the saving and plight of um flesh on bone uh it's it's almost an active uh nonchalant destruction uh yeah nature is going to do its thing and it really doesn't matter uh what humanity thinks one way or the other they're just going to be victims of it right exactly so you're 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 benefiting uh by its presence only to an extent that it's like not act not um hurting you by accident yeah and rather design like it's just a it happens to be a byproduct of the presence of mother of earth that bad things can happen not that they always will but they can uh and there's nothing because of the the lack of agency uh, on part of flesh and bone there's nothing that humanity can do uh against that you're you're helpless against nature uh while still looking to it for succor yes yeah we're we're at the mercy of the the world we were accidentally brought into is the the gist of it Yes. And uh though we may die, um our our bodies basically become fuel for the thing that ultimately kind of killed us. <laughs> so that that's the that's the one good point of existence uh for the world but not for mankind right like it's it's a fruitless thing if you're born uh with no ultimate agency the things you do don't matter as much because um in the end uh nature will prevail like the the existence of humanity as a whole uh it, in this in this framing uh not only are they an accident they are of no benefit they can't help anyone they can't even help themselves uh and then when they die that's their benefit they they become a benefit um but it's not a conscious one <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that yeah I I have to agree with that one hundred percent. So basically, that that's how I read the film. Um, I don't know if the ending. Uh, I'm sure there's other ways you can take it, but that that's what I get when I engage with this this slightly hostile piece of, of cinema. I, I I mean, I'd say that's 
pretty close to what I got of it too. It's um certainly not the cheeriest movie, but um there's there's a lot in there that I think actually does line up pretty well with uh what Ligotti writes about, especially in Conspiracy Against the Human Race, with uh existence as something hostile and uh humanity as like a, a aberration in a, a cruel universe. Yes, and so I've pulled um a few quotes from pretty much the center of the book. This is in the chapter Undoing Two. And these are, are, are quotes about the um the philosopher um Philip Meinlander. So this is Meinlander was confident that the will to die he believed would well up in humanity had been spiritually grafted unto us by a god who, in the beginning, masterminded his own quietus. It seems that existence was a horror to God. Unfortunately, God was impervious to the depredations of time. This being so, his only means to free himself was by a divine form of suicide. And it goes into um, discussing that God's plan for suicide, um, it's, it's, it's a successful one, but it is something that um has unintended consequences uh god's choice to not exist um spawns our existence uh, because everything is a uh an offspring of god's corpse um there's still that is the beginning of energy uh, but it's also the beginning of entropy so everything that exists uh, comes into life, blooms from that energy, but as a rotting thing that is only fated to end. And that's that's kind of how this film is framed as well. Yeah, that there's the, the, the exact uh, Mindlander quote of uh, God is dead, his death was the life of the world. And that's uh, begotten in a nutshell. Yes. Yeah. And uh, th- I think that that particular part does go on to say, once the great individuation had been initiated, the moment of its creator's self-annihilation would continue until everything became exhausted by its own existence, which for human beings meant that the faster they learned that happiness was not as good as they thought it would be, the happier they would be to die out. And, and that's the, the core of that idea of... It, your existence is um it's an accident and it's meaningless uh but you can you can find solace in that fact once you come to accept that it's a meaningless existence unfortunately no one in begotten uh finds any solace there <laughs> no unless you like to be turned into a tree then maybe there's some I, solace I in that do not <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and then there's, so, Mindlander's philosophies are, he was a um, student of Schopenhauer, and Schopenhauer, he basically took the other side of the coin of Schopenhauer's idea of will to live, 
and this is sort of summed up in, in this particular quote, um, in this light, human progress, progress is shown to be an ironic symptom that our downfall into extinction has been progressing nicely because the more things change for the better, the more they progress toward a reliable end. Uh, and then it, it, it goes on to say, so Mindlander, when he published his um, work uh, in, that, in that same day, he had, he had committed suicide. Uh, the idea behind that um, is that he's just forwarding uh, God's own blueprint for self-destruction. Which ultimately is sort of what happens in this film. Um, again, it's it's not a one-to-one ratio because Flesh on Bone does not have agency um, and that choice is not made... Um, it's made for him, uh, not by him. He doesn't have agency, but he has, uh, he's still at the whims of, uh, Mother Nature, regardless. So it doesn't really, I'm unsure if Flesh on Bone having agency would materially change anything in the movie, you know? (coughs) He'd Um, still be at the, at the mercies of that world. Yeah, I don't think his having, um, his not having agency is more poignant um, in this instance, if he had agency, these events I think still would occur. Um, he's he's the agency would have just been taken away rather than not having existed at all in the first place. Yeah, there is an an aspect of of flesh on bone that that does feel uh, like an allegory for the concept of life itself. Just this this stumbling flesh golem that produces and with without thought and and um moves forward through its its existence once again there's there's a a sequence where where um it appears to vomit up flesh and organs um which are accepted as gifts by these these faceless uh, um covered nomads and it, it 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 does just feel like like this that flesh on bone represents the the very concept of life it is just this this stumbling thing moving forward through um uh, time until its inevitable end it is, and I think that, that idea also um, has merit that uh, the the things that are all of creation isn't given; it's taken. Uh, that plays into both the the role of Mother Earth. She did not; she was not given this, and she took it. Yes, from from the corpse of God, um, just as these figures um, take the viscera of son of earth and mother earth and to 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 worship i guess uh to sacrifice but they a uh, thing result is resultant from that that like taking um creates something right but it's not something that's given um freely or is it the, it's it's not it's not the intention of it it's uh, the result of it mm 
there can it's be okay. there can be no no life without death the 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 continued existence of of all living things requires the sacrifice of a a another living thing in order to sustain it yes and it's a it's a futile existence because it's just going to repeat And again, hope and, everyone. And, 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 yeah, is everyone happy now? Are we all. <laughs> I was about yeah, to say. I hope yeah, every. Yeah, I hope everyone. I hope everyone at home is feeling feeling real good about themselves. Feeling good. Right yeah. Feeling good about humanity, about the world, about existence. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, it gets happier. Um. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> that is a lie. I do. I do have one. Um, one more quote from this particular segment. Um. So this is uh, this is just from the same chapter. From the standpoint of Mindlander's philosophy, Zapfa's last messiah, which we which we have um, discussed in a previous episode, uh, would not be an unwelcome sage, but a crowning force of the post-divine era. Rather than resist our end, as Mindlander concludes, we will come to see that the knowledge that life is worthless is the flower of all human wisdom. The philosopher also states, life is hell, and this sweet, still night of absolute death is the annihilation of hell. This ties us pretty much directly into the other film that we took a look at, and that's Sleep Has Her House. So, uh, Leonard, um, you were unable to watch this one. Um, That's that's fine. This, um, (laughs) if you want to talk about potentially hostile viewing this is less forgiving to its audience than i feel begotten um is it's 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 easier to watch this film about the death of god than watch sleep has her house yeah begotten is it's still a narrative film at heart it may have a experimental structure but it's still there were actors there's a there's a, a structure to it there's a narrative Sleep Has Her House is a full-blown feature-length experimental film. Uh, there's no narrative. There are no actors. It's all about the form, basically. Yes. And yeah, I had uh, <laughs> I had read that this was um, originally supposed to be an art installation and that the original cut of the film was four hours long. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, you you can believe it. <laughs> uh, all of Scott Barley's movies, or I shouldn't say all, the vast majority of Scott Barley's movies are very much um, exercises in just filming light and shadow. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, in Sleep Has House, there's so many sequences to just play with a really impressive level of darkness it's probably the darkest movie i've seen just visually uh and the vast majority of his works are mostly experiments in depicting nature or depicting bodies through uh very extreme uh aberrations of light and shadow there's no narrative to be found anywhere in his work the the only narrative you're going to find um, in particular in this one is what you place upon it mm-hmm. like you you have to read something into this your your experience becomes the narrative and in that, in that way I, I would say that the film succeeds as an experiment in that direction uh 
provided you can engage with it um, on some some level. Um, because as we mentioned, the film is it's not um, it's not un, it's not that it's unpleasant viewing um, thematically maybe, uh, but the film itself, uh, by nature of being a collection of s static camera angles, um, very, very slow, uh, zoom in and out, um, sometimes taking upwards of like seven minutes, <laughs> focusing on a single image. Uh, those parts would test you as a viewer. Yeah, it's, I'm just gonna uh, go ahead and say this is definitely one of my favorite movies, just in general. It's one of my favorite movies of the last decade. I also would not, in fact, it's probably maybe my favorite movie of the last decade. I also would not recommend it to anybody who's not ride or die for experimental film because <laughs> it tests you. It's, it's a, uh, if you can get on its wavelength, Trust me, it's genuinely one of the most enjoyable watches I've ever had. If you can't get on to Wavelength, it's probably going to be a nightmare to sit through. And so what the, What this film kind of does, uh, it, it becomes um, a meditation uh, of, of itself um, and, for, and for the viewer. Uh, you have to... Have to, but watching that, watching this film and engaging with it with that in mind... Um, makes the process uh, more tenable. I can't say more enjoyable, but um, as a meditative piece and something where you can kind of do uh, some introspection along with while, while you're watching it, um, improves the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say personally that when I watched this film, uh, the, the the director, um, when I think the film was released on on the, the festival circuits, um, was saying that this film is it's meant to be watched in like complete blackness because the film is so dark, as you mentioned. It's it's very hard to discern um, at all times what's going on on the screen. Um, Part of that is the the lighting, and then part of that is also the sort of manipulative filter that's kind of given to the film um, mm -hmm. that makes it a little bit it makes it a little bit less accessible, but at the same time it adds a very specific theming to it, and it keeps the viewer engaged simply because uh, you're or personally um, I was left wondering. Uh, what was happening on the screen, and if there's more there than you can notice just at like initial watching, uh, because there's some some transformative effects going on, um, as a sort of a patina on the film. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, obviously I'll, there was a lot of post production work that went into this movie. I remember there's one shot. I think it's the 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 waterfall shot, which is probably the big takeaway from the movie uh, that took like two days to render because there was so much post-processing going on with it. Uh, there's everything in the film is filtered to look, I don't even know how to describe it. Like 
a etching or a painting or something. It's all the colors are very muted and there's intentional uh obscuring of most things, even slightly out of the light. Uh the shadows are so thick that you often have no idea what it is you're looking at. Uh and sometimes the shot will eventually sort of reveal what you're looking at and sometimes it won't at all and you'll just be lost with what the hell is i just looking at for three minutes yeah and i I think that that's a um that's a draw for the film because you can watch this sort of in segments um i intend i unintentionally did that because i tried to watch this film at midnight um and promptly i made it about halfway through and just fell asleep i uh, it was a, a feeling of um I didn't fall asleep completely. I, I, it was a weird, like took a nap and then woke up and the movie's still going, but then I have <laughs> no idea what happened or what's going on because it's, it's just some, uh, other moment of thing progressing and things progress so glacially, uh, that I, I had the, I wasn't even sure had I, had I missed something. Or if it was just a transition that was so dark that I thought I had fallen asleep. Uh, to find that it was like about 15 minutes had actually passed. Because I can look at the time. Um, the the playing part. Um, but to wake up during the thunderstorm portion actually is, is what happened. The first instance to me um, uh, that's overt showing that this scenes of nature are not um, wholly natural. The, the lightning in particular does not, it's not, it goes fully horizontally, like primary, the most por- portion of the scene, which does go on for quite a while. But um, the, the lightning and the thunder and the scene itself are hostile, like toward the, the world that it's occurring in. Yeah. Uh, it, it's worth... Uh, we didn't summarize what the movie basically yeah. is, right? We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll roll back on that. Um, yeah, one I, I did pull um, another quote. This is from the section um, in the book entitled "Analogies." So, wound up like toys by some force, call it will, uh, elan vital, anima mundi, psychological or um, oh, physiological or psychological process, nature or whatever. Organisms go on running as they are bidden until they are run down. In pessimistic philosophies, it is only the force that is real, not the things activated by it. They are only puppets, and they have if they have consciousness, um, they may mistakenly believe they are self-winding persons who are making a go of it on their own. Uh, here, then, is the signature motif of the pessimistic imagination that Schopenhauer made discernible. Behind the scenes of life, there is something pernicious that makes a nightmare of our world. And um, for me, that's how I kind of viewed what was happening in this film. Um, uh, yes, let's, let's roll back to a bit of the beginning. Uh, while we said there's no narrative, it does have a bit of intro text for the film. Um, if uh, Perry, if you'd like to read that. Yeah. Uh, the shadows of screams climb beyond the hills. It has happened before. But this will be the last time. The last few sense it, withdrawing deep into the forest. They cry out into the black as the shadows pass away into the ground. Uh, so with that as the opening text, uh, 
how did you interpret that, Perry? Uh, well, what what basically follows is the film is all nature footage uh, that it essentially builds to night falling on this uh, on this forest. Uh, we see a bit of the the animals that live within only only a little bit, only little glimpses. Uh, and then this huge apocalyptic lightning storm comes and a fire sweeps the forest. And so it's very dramatic. Uh, and the way I interpret that opening text in uh, in relation to the actual movie is that is that is the plot, basically. There is some horrible force descending on the forest or hap- or potentially coming from within the forest or there's something terrible is happening to this forest is the point. Uh, and the animals are the, the last few sense it and withdraw within. And then, well, we, we watch the shadows pass away into the ground and we see what comes, which is this like apocalyptic lightning storm and fire. Yes. And there's not only um, that sense of it, but this, this force that's hostile, um, is a sort of uh, wind, like a, a death fog um, that, as it passes by, it, it's just leaving destruction in its wake. We we get this with the there are if there's protagonists or some sort of relatable thing. It's the there's two horses and a deer. It's what we're kind of given um, as as things to observe in the forest. Uh, the deer uh, in in if I have a favorite shot of the film, it's going to be this, it's, it's a night shot and the, the camera is trained upon like a tree, a tree that's, um, it's, it's in enough focus and just enough light to, to discern what it is because everything else is completely black. Uh, as the shot progresses, the light on the tree, uh, moves and, we come to understand that it's like it's an actual light on a tree, not not just it's not being lit by natural lighting. Uh, this this spotlight, as it were, traverses down, and we have seen the kind of wind. Uh, it's a post production element. Um, pass has passed by, uh, and we're we're focused on the body of the deer, um, who died as the wind passed over it that I felt was probably the like the large crux of what's the the center of the film was doing. I'm just saying that like this whatever is happening here is is it's a clear like, we know from the quote it's a clearly hostile thing that's destroying everything. Um whether that be a a, a facet of nature set on devouring itself, uh like some weird strange Ouroboros or um, an active non it could be conscious thing it could be non non-conscious thing um, destroying everything uh, that that shot I think like encompassed a lot of that yeah I, I think you're onto something with the uh, Aurora Boris uh, because there's that the the bit in the intro where they talk about uh, it has happened before. Uh, but also, this will be the last time. But it definitely seems like the world of Sleep Has Her House is completely free from human interference. 
whatever is happening, whatever is happening, is all up to nature, and it seems to be happening in some sort of cycle. Maybe it's getting worse every time, but uh, I, I like the idea of nature creating this force that then destroys it, and it just happening in this cycle of creating a force destroys it, recreating a force destroys it, and so on and so forth. Uh, yes, and then uh, I pulled another quote. So this is, uh, I, I believe, it's been a while. I want to say we have covered at least one work of um, Algernon Blackwood. Um, yes, yes, we have. A year or two ago? A while back. But um, he has another work, The Willows, which is where uh, nature itself is um, a hostile, frightening thing. Uh, and this this small quote from that is um, within, of course, um, conspiracy against the human race. So a rising river, perhaps, always suggests something of the ominous. Um, I'm just going to paraphrase some of this. Yet, I, yet I was aware that my uneasy, uneasiness lay deeper, or lay deeper far than the emotions of awe and wonder. It was not that I, f- it was not that that I felt, nor had it directly to do with the power of the driving wind, this shouting hurricane that might that might almost carry up a few acres of willows into the air and scatter them like so much chaff over the landscape. The wind was simply enjoying itself, for nothing rose out of that flat landscape to stop it, and I was consciousness I was conscious of sharing its great game with a kind of pleasurable excitement. Um, you could read a little bit of that into whatever this force is. Uh, and then this is the more telling portion. Uh, Though I was aware somehow that it had to do with our utter insignificance before this unrestrained power of the elements about me. This huge, grown river had something to do with it, too. A vague, unpleasant idea that we had somehow trifled with these great elemental forces in whose power we lay helpless every hour of the day and night. For here, indeed, they were gigantically at play together, and the sight appealed to the imagination. The the quote goes on, but it's all in the sort of the same vein, and you get that... Um, that presence uh, in in the film uh as you mentioned that that waterfall shot is it's one that reoccurs and it's very it's poignant and it is something that it dwells on in the this power of vastness that um you you cannot stop or contain it's going to do what it's going to do uh, of its own accord uh, with or without a will um which makes it far more frightening um and the same to be said of the the thunderstorm that ultimately raises um a large portion of this forest uh the the terror inherent in those um perhaps uh unwitting acts um is is something to behold and in this case, uh, due to the presence of the wind or whatever this force is and and to the um, the intro text, we know that what's going on um, in some fashion is on purpose. And it's, yeah, there's some yeah. horrible design to it. Yes, which makes it far more threatening because it's something that's... Uh, it cannot be contained and it cannot be stopped. This this film to me is that idea of entropy um, and annihilation. Uh, it the the movie itself culminates in a 
no less bizarre um, sort of vortex. That yeah, the last shot is of like a, a vortex reflecting off a lake or potentially within the lake, and it's the only. I'd say it's the only overtly supernatural image in the whole movie. I mean, there there's other things that are strange, but that is like, oh, that's some entity in the lake or above the lake. Yes, and it seems to be um, because the camera falls into it and follows it, it, it seems to be swall. To me, I read it as it's just swallowing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and potentially uh, because it's a circle, uh, it's swallowing everything, but it could just be like folding back in on itself and everything comes back out the other side uh, to kind of repeat this cycle. So again, well, we don't know. We're not given that information, but you can kind of make of it what you will. And that's the reading it in that fashion, um, coupled with the the quotes in the beginning. Um, I feel fairly valid, but um, again, that's subjective. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's fair. I, I think that the the main the main takeaway I got. Uh, from considering this movie along with Begotten as like of a pair is Begotten is an an anti-human movie, right? Begotten demystifies or denigrates the human experience. It sees nothing magical or interesting or or worthwhile about it. Uh, While Sleep Has Her House is completely post-human. There's a whole horror of nature going on uh, that humanity being there wouldn't change anything. Uh, it wouldn't have any real input. That the world is a nightmare with or without people in it, basically. Uh, so I think that whatever is going on here, this uh, swallowing or <coughs> consuming of the world is like a a, a natural endpoint for this uh bizarre cycle we're seeing in sleep has her house like uh like the only way that this kind of terrible cycle of destruction rebirth could ever really end is in a complete annihilation of everything yes it has it has to reach its um terminus uh, but that's going to be of its own accord and is an inevitable um, thing that's going to happen. So it's just underscoring the futility of existence um, in general, on the whole, and uh, double underscoring uh, that for um, humanity. Um, so here's a question for the two of you, having listened to you uh, both describe this film. Um, I, while this question, I don't believe has any, any bearing on, on the interpretation, uh, uh, on one's interpretation of the film, uh, do, do either of you, uh, think anything exists outside of this forest? No. I would also say no. So that, I, this, this so. is the last bastion uh of of existence like this is it it's a um it's a self-contained 
remnant that is now um now uh that being the case do i think that when this ends and if it's a cycle is everything else also regurgitated i don't know uh, i would say maybe yes but again sans um, humanity i think right. that this this cycle just gets smaller and smaller and smaller so maybe it it, it restart resets but there's even less of uh, the forest or anything to to be in existence. I, I don't know, but that's where I would take this. Yeah, I, it's I view the forest as like a a a microcosm mm. for existence. So while there may be, I don't think there'd physically be things. Be uh, I don't think there'd physically be things outside of this forest in this world uh i don't think it would particularly matter anyways right. so it definitely feels like this world is like the forest is the world either literally or metaphorically what happens to the forest is what happens to the rest of the world mm -hmm. yeah but yes I, there's no, I don't um i i think that that's probably a better read on it this is a microcosm this is the world uh, and it's going to end. Um, it also brings to mind uh, uh, another interesting thought, which is uh, since the, this this end is 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 seemingly conscious, is is possibly like a willful entity. I I like the idea of um it being post-human because so much of human based fiction is a rat is, is couched in the idea of humanity overcoming um, the, the machinations of, of, of a cruel universe or, or evil people or entities. And that uh, it kind of shows that um, no, there, there would be this plan, this, ultimate destructive plan in pay place even if humans don't exist we are just assigning a value to it um because of our perception of ourselves and the universe exactly that um humanity itself uh is self-important uh mm -hmm. it does not ultimately matter in in the grand scheme of things whether or not there's a scheme of things right like it doesn't have to be a conscious thing happening uh be because ultimately yes it, it does not matter entropy is going to win or it's just going to happen <laughs> however you want to look at that because it's not really winning everything's just gone uh but that's that's a a natural state of uh things it's something i really um admire about this film is it is effectively a horror film without any consideration for any form of humanity uh because even most films that don't have humans in it they'll have uh anthropomorphized animals or robots or something that talks and thinks and acts in a discernible human way. And this is presenting a horror film that is 
completely divorced from any sort of human rationality or human interaction or it's just it's basically a nature documentary purposed as a horror film uh and i think that does a better job of uh establishing horror as like a a fact of life and a fact of a universe than something that centers on horror as a fact of life in fact the universe as viewed through human understanding uh this feels very this feels a lot bigger picture i guess it it does and in and to um to kind of hammer that home uh, not only is it devoid of humanity as a, a post-human construction, it's devoid of remnants of humanity. So generally, when you think post-human or post-apocalyptic, uh, there's still some uh, ruins. There's still some evidence that people existed uh, because framing it that way means that there was some meaning to people existing, mm-hmm. um, even if it is just as some sort of relic. Uh, or or in a, a um, building or you know some sort of re- remnant at all um, this not containing those is all the more horrific for it exactly yeah this is this is a world where maybe humans never even existed yeah. like mm-hmm. it's they're just complete uh, non-entity mm-hmm. yeah and, and I think that 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 underscores the efficacy of this um it's a film as we mentioned a few times uh, it's not easy to watch uh but i think that assigning meaning to what the film is doing uh puts extra value in watching it again mm-hmm. yeah I, I consider it a very rewarding movie uh as strange that may sound yes. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, that, that, I think that wraps us up for coverage of what we're trying to discuss um, in this particular episode. We've, we've gone through the permutations of uh, existence of, of humanity um, in all of its forms, that it's flawed, um, that it may not have needed to exist in the first place, um, that its own existence is... Uh, it's the opposite of a happy accident. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a very unfortunate accident. Yeah, it's, a, it's a curse. It's a it's normal a accident. <laughs> <laughs> a cursed existence. Um, and the ending of it uh, doesn't matter and just kind of reduces things to zero where they sort of started in the beginning anyway. Right. Yeah. So do either of you have anything else to say? On, um, I know we, we had a little bit more time um, just that last last portion, um, Leonard, uh, just by virtue of you not, not having seen that film, were there any other tidbits um, on these themes that you wanted to um, discuss? No, I, I, I think I, I'm probably actually going to try to uh, grab this film again and 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 engage with it in in some uh way uh because it does honestly sound kind of interesting and possibly something that um that i might i i might watch completely uh it in in a way that is antithetical to to maybe how one would want to view it the first time which is 
very passively by having it on and maybe taking paying attention at uh, at specific points but not focusing on it um it this once again this sounds like a, a like a piece of media that i want to engage with and and try to figure out how um what it is um trying to do or at least whatever my uh idiot reptile brain assigns <laughs> meaning to to whatever it's trying to do because that's also probably the point as well <laughs> yeah and i think that that's um that is a uh sort of bonus um to how this film is constructed whereas with begotten um, it's assigning its own meaning and there's some room for subjectivity and for interpretation, but it's still couched in a very specific narrative that uh, you, you can understand on a level. Uh, Sleep Has Her House has that in that there's a beginning and end and a middle, like <laughs> there's a transition of what's going on. There is a narrative it's not um it's not super overt uh and having assigned extra meanings to it uh those provide i think footholds to maybe engage with it a little bit more and then come to your own consensus like afterwards yeah i agree all right perry um was there anything else that you would like to cover before we call this one? I think we just about covered it. Uh, just I would I would highly recommend listeners uh, to go check this movie out. If they sound like they could potentially interest you, or you, uh, you 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 like the discussion around them, I'd really say give them a shot because they're not the easiest watches. But uh, I love these movies very much. Yeah, I would echo that, and I would also um, tack on, uh, if you watch these and engage with them, or if you have watched these prior to the, the show coming out, because we, we, had, we announced this um, in advance, uh, let uh, engage with us. Let us know what you think about these, because our reads could be wholly different. Uh, and further discourse on these, I think, is something um, that is potentially... Um, also enjoyable uh, because the the more you dig into these and into these themes uh, there's there's plenty of room for discussion um, because again all, all this is subjective media uh, to a point yeah absolutely all right so we'll we'll call this one um I had fun, gentlemen. This was uh, a, a rousing session of discussing terrible things. Um, in a way that makes them palatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was uh, about as fun as you can have talking about these subjects. Yes. Well, uh, Perry, thanks for having you on the show. Um, we're glad you stopped by. Uh, we will we will kind of wrap this up with um, uh, go ahead and replug the things you kind of talked about in the beginning, just in case people forgot. Yeah, I have a uh, a short cosmic horror film called Sungazer that is available for rental and purchase on Vimeo. Uh, it is heavily inspired by both the films we discussed today, so if you like the way they sound, maybe uh, give that one a shot. And I have a anthology 
coming out in four days on the 15th that is uh, another existential horror bad vibes time uh, that has some short fiction it has some comics in it, it has some illustrations uh, if you're a fan of the show you will probably enjoy it it is called the last Nautilian. and again digital copies will be on sale on july 15th well excellent and if folks uh look to contact you on twitter what is your handle uh perry p-e-r-r-y underscore r-u-h thank you sir uh leonard how about yourself where can we find you Yes, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Faust is Dead. You can also find me on YouTube where I have a smattering of uh, video essays and edited videos, uh, mainly talking about video game narratives uh, based on games that I really like talking about. I am still currently working on the edit for my next video, uh, Grease, A Beautiful Sorrow, which will hopefully be out before the end of the month. And Dave, uh, where can people find you online? As always, primarily on Twitter at Sentinot underscore plus. It will be in the notes because it's, I know it's so fun to spell. That, folks, will wrap us up for this episode. Uh, Cameron is probably back next time. I don't know. It's always up in the air. Um, everything's up in the air these days. What's going on? Who knows? It's crazy times. Uh, but we will be back one way or the other next week um, with another topic. And it will not be Ligotti. So you can rest easy for one week until we're back. Yeah, we'll go back to the light stuff like Legend and and Return to Oz and all the traumatizing children children's films from the eighties because because of the troubles. So we will probably be sticking with childhood nightmares for a while. And there's plenty of those to go around. All right, folks, we will catch you next time. Bye bye, y'all. Goodbye. See ya.